I want to apologize to you first of all, because it seems as someone asked this morning, are you starting a new series? It's a new year. Well, I, I don't want to start a new series and leave Jesus on the cross, so uh, no, I'm not going to start a new series. But uh, I have to apologize because as I've taught through the Gospels basically the last year and a half, uh, I've kind of hogged the platform up here, the teaching platform, and realized that as Matt filled the last two weeks, we, we've got incredible people in here that can teach besides me, and I never want this Sunday thing to become about me. And so uh, I apologize about that. It's just I get so focused on teaching a certain series and make a commitment to be here and, and to teach that. But I'm thankful for Matt. I know Keith's coming up here in a couple of weeks. And uh, as we get through the Gospels, I've probably got about another month and a half. I'll probably slow down and let some of these other people share as well because they're quality teachers. And um, thanks, Matt, for filling in. Uh, if you didn't listen to it, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. It's good stuff. But before Christmas, we left Jesus hanging on the cross. We spent the first three hours of him hanging there. And then the last three hours, uh, in the darkness, he hung there. And I'll start there at Matthew chapter 27. Retouch on verse 50. It said this, But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up His Spirit. Jesus died physically. And no one took His life from Him. He gave it willingly. We talked about that. We had talked about Him dying spiritually earlier as He was on the cross. That's when it all went dark. And He took on all the sin for all time from the beginning where Adam and Eve were in the garden to the very end. Think about this for a second. When I say to the very end, the last sin, whatever that is, that means all of your sins were included in that. Everything that you've done, everything that you're doing, and everything that you're going to do was dealt with on the cross one time. He died one time. That's good news, right? <laughs> Uh, to know that your sin has already been dealt with. Now watch this. I may get stuck here all day. In verse 51, it says, Suddenly the curtain, the veil, of the sanctuary was torn in two from the top to the bottom. I'm going to show you here in just a minute the place that we're talking about, the sanctuary, the the temple, it's obviously probably one of the most sought-after pieces of location in the world, this temple mount. It's in the heart of Jerusalem. Currently, there's a, there's a, a little synagogue on it that the, the Muslims currently are in control of. But uh, here's the beautiful thing about it. It's not even where the Holy of Holies was. And I'll show you all that here in just a second. But in this 
holy place, there was this veil, this curtain. And let me read to you real quick out of the Talmud about how big this curtain was, because you need to understand this. About the curtain, we have learnt. That's the word they used. This is an unredeemed Jew that is telling this. This is not out of the scripture. It's out of the Talmud. Gamaliel said in the name of Rabbi Simeon, the deputy high priest, the curtain was a handbreadth thick. It was this thick. And was woven on 72 strands, and each strand consisted of 24 threads. Its length was 40 cubits, and its breadth 20 cubits, and was made up of 82 myriads of threads. They used to make two every year, and 300 priests were required to immerse it. 300 priests were required to carry it. It was a heavy, heavy curtain that was hung in the holy place. And it says right here, suddenly the curtain, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever you open a packet of something, a packet of hot chocolate, a packet of, you never tear it from the bottom. You always tear it from the top. It says this veil was torn from the top. If the veil took 300 priests to get into the holy place and to hang and it was torn from the top to the bottom, it's proof that no man tore this curtain. This curtain had to have been torn by God. Now watch this. I turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. If I just get through this one verse right here and can sew 66 books into this one verse this morning, uh, that would be pretty awesome. We'll see where we can get to. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 20 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is through his flesh. (laughs) I hope there is a light that's about to come on in here for you. I realize I'm just a teacher, but the Spirit has to reveal this to you. But what it just said in Hebrews is this. That curtain, that veil, was symbolization for Jesus' fleshly body. When Jesus was on the cross and He was crucified and He gave up His Spirit, He physically died, that veil was torn that veil representing Jesus' body. Now, think about this for a second. The glory of God was what Moses saw in the burning bush there on Mount Sinai. And then he gave him in Exodus, he gave him in Exodus rules of how to build the tabernacle and that they built the tabernacle and the, the Israelites and the Jews, they they took this tabernacle and they placed into it the Ark of the Covenant. And the glory of God filled this tabernacle. 
And then occasionally this glory of God that filled the tabernacle would move out and move into a different place and they would pack up the tabernacle and they would move and follow the glory of God. It would move during the day, it would move during the night, and they would continually follow this glory of God. And then comes the period of the judges, and then comes the period of the kings. The kings being Saul first, then David, and then Solomon. David wanted to build a temple for the glory of God to reside in, but because of his sin, he couldn't do it, and his son Solomon had to do it. So Solomon builds this incredible temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the same place that Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. He builds this incredible temple with the holy place in it. They put this veil in it, and the glory of God fills the holy of holies in this temple. Then the Babylonians come along in 586 B.C., And they destroy this temple and take all the Israelites into exile. They're dispersed. Then, as you know, based upon history, the Persians come along and defeat the Babylonians. And the Jews request to King Cyrus, can we please go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple? This is important to us. So then King Cyrus lets some of the Jews come back and they begin to rebuild this temple. Seventy years they were in exile, and then finally the Persian king lets them come back and begin to build this temple. It was completed in 516 B.C. But it wasn't nearly as elaborate as Solomon had built it. And guess what? Based upon what Ezekiel said, when the temple in 586 was destroyed and there was no place for the glory of God... It left. The glory of God left. When they came back to rebuild the temple, and it was built in 516, the glory of God never showed back up in that temple. So what happened to the glory of God? The next time we read about it, you just read about it last month. It was in Luke chapter 2. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Jesus was born and Jesus was the glory of God. The next time the glory of God showed up on earth was in Luke chapter 2. Are you kidding me? It was gone for that many years. Almost 500 years the glory of God was not on this earth. Uh, You're sitting there going, why are you telling us all this? Well, this is important. You've got to know this because... Jesus was the glory of God. There's no question about it. There's no question that He was... His body was this temple that held the glory of God. And when it says that God took this veil and He tore it from the top to the bottom and Jesus was crucified... What it did is it gave us access to the glory of God. I get one amen out of that. You get access to the glory of God, but man, let let me tell you something. It gets a whole lot better. 
it gets a whole lot better. Watch this. Watch what it says in Haggai. When he was rebuilding the temple, he sent two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And they rebuilt the temple that was completed in 516 B.C. Guess what Haggai said? He says, the final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place, and this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So what happens here is that 500 years pass by, King Herod the Great, Herod the Great, the reason he's called the Great is because he was a great architect. He was a builder. He built a lot of things, and he decided, I'm going to rebuild this temple. I'm going to rebuild this temple for the Jews. He wasn't a Jew, but he loved to build, and he's like, I can make this thing better than Solomon even had it. So now, in 19 BC, Herod begins to rebuild the temple. Guess when the temple was actually completed by King Herod and his men? 64 AD. 19 plus 64 is 83. It took 83 years for King Herod to refurbish the temple. But wait, 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 wait. Watch this. If Jesus was born somewhere around 5, 6 BC, and we know that he was crucified at 30 AD, the whole time that Jesus was at the temple, it was being refurbished by King Herod. And if Jesus took on the glory of God in Luke chapter 2, and he walked into the temple mount, the temple area, we know that he did because he turned the tables upside down and everything else. He healed people there on the southern steps. He, he did all these things in the temple area. The glory of God returned to the temple. And what Jesus did during that very moment is he fulfilled Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. When Jesus walked into the temple area, he brought the glory of God in its greatest form to the temple. Jesus actually fulfilled this prophecy. Watch this. Revelation 1.6, I believe the veil pointed to Christ's body. In Revelation 1.6 it says this, To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, uh, that verse may not mean anything to you, but if you understand the Jewish background, the Holy of Holies, there's only one person that could go into the Holy of Holies. And he did that once a year. This was the high priest. He was actually able to go behind the veil, the curtain. He had a rope tied to him. And he had bells on the bottom of his robe. If for some reason he entered the Holy of Holies with an unclean self, he probably died instantly. And if they didn't hear the bells jingling anymore, they would pull him out with a rope. Because no one else could go into this Holy of Holies. 
But what did Revelation say Jesus just did with his blood is that he made us all priests. Are you kidding me? Like, we no longer need a high priest to go into the Holy of Holies. Why is that? Is because it says right here in Revelation 1.6, it says, To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all with unveiled faces, when the veil was torn, we were able to see. The whole disciples, they were able to see. It says, With unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Colossians 1.27 says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of His mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> Nothing? Nothing? Do you, do you get this? The same glory that Moses saw in the burning bush, the same glory that was in the tabernacle, the same glory that was in the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple, the same glory that walked here on earth in the form of Jesus the man is now living inside of you. Really? And you're going to walk around here on the face of this earth as a defeated believer. Lord, have mercy on me. A rotten, no good sinner. And he's just going, what in the world did I do for you? Do you not realize what I did for you? I gave up my perfect Passover sacrificial life for you. So that you could walk here with the Spirit of God inside of you and you be holy and forgiven child of God. Yet, it's almost like we walk around with a veil over our face. He says that veil has been removed. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to figure out what the glory of God looks like, you need to look at the face of Jesus Christ. Acts 6 7 says this So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Even the priests saw that the temple curtain was torn from the top, that God did it, and they began to believe. Are you kidding me? Watch what it says. Because, because of Jesus' death, here's what it says in the Talmud again. It says, During the 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the doors of Hekau would open by themselves until Rabbi Johanan ben Zakkai rebuked them, saying, Hekau, Hekau, why wilt thou be alarmer thyself? I know about thee that thou wilt be destroyed. For Zechariah ben Edo has already prophesied concerning thee. Open thy doors, O Lebanon. 
that the fire may devour thy cedars. You're going, what in the world did he just read? (laughs) Let me tell you, based upon rabbinical history, the temple doors, imagine if the veil, how heavy that is, imagine how heavy the temple doors are. They open by themselves. When did they open? It says 40 years before the temple was destroyed. Calculate this. When was the temple destroyed? 70 AD, 40 years before that. Are you kidding me? It just so happened that the unredeemed Jews talk about these temple doors just opening up on their own happened the same year that Jesus was crucified. Come on. The same year that Jesus was crucified? Are you kidding me? This is from Josephus. Josephus says this, Moreover, the eastern gate of the inner court of the temple, which was of brass and vastly heavy and had been with difficulty shut by 20 men. They couldn't shut this door. And rested upon a basis armed with iron and had bolts fastened very deep into the firm floor, which was there made of one entire stone, was seen to be opened on its own accord about the sixth hour of the night. These are unredeemed Jews. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're writing this. They're writing what happened in history. This isn't the Bible. This is history. This happened. It says, now those that kept watching the temple came hereupon, running to the captain of the temple and told him of it. And they came up thither and not without great difficulty was able to shut the gate again. This also appeared to be the vulgar, to be very happy prodigy, as if God did thereby upon open them the gate of happiness. But the men of learning understood it and the security of their holy house was dissolved of its own accord and that the gate was open for the advantage of their enemies. So these publicly declared that the signal foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them. It foreshadowed what was coming, the desolation. We know that that happened when? Forty years later. It was actually going to happen. But these doors kept opening up after Jesus was crucified. Mm. Seems kind of fishy to me. Watch this. Let me show you some pictures real quick. The, for When we talk about the temple, this is actually a picture, it's a model, of what, of what Herod built. This is on the Temple Mount, which is much bigger than what you're seeing right here, but this is the Holy of Holies. You'll see... Several gates that are around the side, but the tall building there is actually the Holy of Holies. Show the next picture. And inside this Holy of Holies, the very first part is where a couple priests could go in this area. And you'll see a number six right there. That is actually where the menorah sat on the south side of the holy place of the temple. And inside of that holy place, this is an actual menorah. You can, see, you can see a person in this picture. Oh, wait, go back. You can, no, the menorah, there you go. You can see a person in this picture. That's how big the actual menorah was. 
and it had seven branches. What you're looking at there is a menorah that has already been rebuilt and is ready to go into the temple when the temple is going to be rebuilt. I promise you, it's going to be rebuilt. It, it, that mosque that's on there now will be gone. And somehow that temple will be rebuilt, and they already have the artifacts that go back in it. And you're looking at it. That's the actual... Now, what I've got here, this is a Hanukkah. It's got nine branches. You'll see seven in the picture. They, this is what the modern-day Jews use as their menorah. Remember, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that the light is coming in the world, so they continually light this menorah. The light's coming, the light's coming, the light's coming. I promise you, the light's coming. And then, I I threw this next picture in just for kicks. There's a huge mosque called the Dome of the Rock that sits there on the Temple Mount, and Muslims use it. But based upon biblical history, we know exactly where Solomon's temple sat on the Temple Mount. And this little mosque that you see my son and I standing at is the actual location, according to biblical history, of where the Holy of Holies was. We're we're standing there at the Holy of Holies that is controlled by the Muslims. We asked the guide, can we go inside? He's like, uh, no. They wouldn't look highly upon that. And there were two Palestinian guards with machine guns standing by. <laughs> we, wa- we walked away and I turned around and I saw Corey walk right through the middle of it. I'm like, son, what were you thinking? He goes, well, I was just wanting to take the Holy Spirit back to the Holy of Holies one more time. They didn't do a thing to him. The the deal is, my son got it. He knew where the Holy Spirit was. He knew where the glory of God was. It was in him. It's all that mattered. It's all that mattered. He he figured it out. Uh, yeah, the holy uh, the glory of God may be inside that little area right there, but my son realized that the glory of God was in him. Now watch this. This menorah. There's typically seven branches right here, and then there's this one that's right in the middle. That one that is in the middle right there is the most important. I'll read to you from the Talmud again, and an unredeemed Jew wrote this. It says, The seven lamps shall give light in front of the candlestick. This teaches that they were made to face the western lamp, and the western lamp faced the Shekinah. And Rabbi Johanan said, this shows that the middle is specially prized. That middle light is important. The Jewish encyclopedia says this, the Nair Elohim, was left burning all day and was refilled in the evening. It served in light all the lamps. The Nair Elohim 
combined no more oil than the other lamps. A half log measure. One log contains the liquid of six eggs. Sufficient to last during the longest winter night. Yet by a miracle, that lamp regularly burned till the following evening. This miracle, however, ceased after the death of Simeon the righteous, who was high priest 40 years before the destruction of the temple. Wait, wait, wait. They don't have anything to do with Jesus. But what they just said right here is, they explained how these are lit and filled, but 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the light went out. Coincidence? What happened on the cross for three hours? It went dark. The light, the western light, the specially prized center light went out. Coincidence? Really? Is it this hard to see? Is there a veil that covers your eyes? The Talmud says, during the last 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the lot did not come up in the right hand, nor did the crimson colored strap become white, nor did the westernmost light shine. For the next 40 years before the destruction of the temple, it never shined again. <laughs> what did Jesus say? Let me remind you, we've already covered it. John chapter 8 says this. Jesus spoke to, the, to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In the next chapter in John 9, 5, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus was crucified and the light went out. Now here's a crazy thing. Watch this. Revelation. A book of prophecy written by John after 70 A.D., after the destruction of the temple. He says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of the God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send them to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, seven menorahs. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun of full strength. John's prophecy says that the light 
of the world is Jesus. It's that bright. He saw a menorah with the western lamp as Jesus. And the light went out. Revelation 21:23 says this, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The city's lamp is the Lamb. The last seven statements of Jesus on the cross. There was only one that he said during those three dark hours. During those three dark hours, Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The only statement said in the dark. And guess what? The light went out in the temple. The light went out in the temple. Guess what? The light still shines. The light still shines. Where is it shining? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You are the light of the world because of Christ in you. Father, uh, how can it be so evident yet we have a hard time seeing it? I pray that you can cause us to see the truth of your word. That it makes so much sense. May we truly be able to walk around and know that the light of the world lives in us. That you saved us, that you redeemed us, that you've made us whole, that you've perfected us, that you've forgiven us. And the light will never, ever, ever go out again. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.